Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Alright, glory to God, praise the living God. Okay, we want to continue with our study on the last day's predictions. And this is going to be part number four on the rapture. We're dealing with, this is going to be, I will call this rapture two on the last day prediction part number four. Our main text is going to be coming from 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. Uh, I got this question as touching what does what does it mean of the Lord coming with a trump or descending from heaven? So I need to quickly take a look at that. And here is what it is. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4 16. The scripture says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, that is King James. If you take a look at the Philip translation, this is what you see. One word of command, one shout from the archangel, one blast from the trumpet of God, and the Lord himself will come down from heaven. Amen? Now, it's imperative for us to understand that throughout the Bible, the word trumpet is used for messages. When you talk about trumpets, you're talking about messages. Amen. Now, in Mighty 6, for instance, uh, we begin to look at verse 1 to 2. Jesus writing made a statement there. Book of Mighty chapter 6 from verse 1 to 2. Here is how Jesus uh, used this word or uh, make this, this clarification for us in terms of what the trumpet stands for in the Bible. And he says, as well in verse 2, but verse 1 to 2, Take heed that you do not your arms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you will have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thy arms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. Praise God. Don't sound a trumpet means don't talk to other people about it. Don't disclose whatever it is. It's just a message, just communication. Trumpet stands for communication, you know, like like in the in the wilderness, they have to have trumpets. There are separate blasts of trumpet. Certain trumpets will sound. Only the priests will come to the temple. Other trumpets will sound. The seventies will come to the temple. The specific trumpet will sound. If you go study the book of Numbers chapter ten, you'll be able to see how the trumpet were all used. They were means to communicate to Israel because they had a large congregation, how many million of people were in the wilderness. You can talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. So when the trumpet sounds, the blast of the trumpet, they know what it's talking about. If it is for war, they'll go to war. If it is just to gather to the temple, they'll all gather. If it is want to move, they just, you know, pick up tents and they're going to go. That is the way it was. So trumpet was a means of communication. God gave this thing to Moses so that he can be able to use it to communicate to people because of the large size of the people. So you take time to study in the book of Numbers chapter 10. You see what I'm talking about. So here Jesus simply make it very plain. You do not have to sign a trumpet before people if you do anything good. So trumpet just speaks of communication. You don't, you don't in any way have to begin to think that God wants to use literal angels to carry literal silver trumpets, seven trumpets, and they'll be blowing up in the sky, blah, 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 blah all over the place. You know. I mean, sometimes I don't understand how we think as believers. When we read this book, 
I don't know how we truly try to interpret what is in this book. Amen. Now, so here in First Thessalonians four sixteen, we're, we're talking about the trump of God. Put me the trumpet of God. This trumpet is associated with God, but it's different from First Corinthians fifteen verse five to, I mean, fifty one fifty two. We, we talks about the last trump. Now, the last trump is actually the last message of the seventh angel of Revelation ten. Uh, verse 1 and verse 7. Is that okay? The last trump in 1 Corinthians 15 is associated or connected to the seventh messenger trumpet. That's the last message of the seventh angel of Revelation 10, 1 and 2. Which is the message of perfection and completeness. That's what he's talking about there. For when the last Angel Shulah Sunday, which is the last trump, which is the, the seventh messenger. The mystery of God should be finished. Is that okay? So that is different from First Thessalonians chapter four and verse sixteen that we're dealing with. I want you to get the difference in the way I mean the scripture uses this trumpet. Praise the Lord. So what exactly is this trump of God? This one is the trump of God, first Thessalonians four sixteen. It's important that you get it as well. Now here, the trumpet is directly associated with God himself. Unlike what we have in 1 Corinthians 15, like I'm, I'm saying. So then, what is the true meaning of the phrase, the trump of God? We can find the answer in the words of prophet Zechariah. The whole chapter of Zechariah, chapter 9, is, a prof- is, is, is prophetic of the judgment on Israel's enemies. The restoration of Israel to the promised land which will embrace not only the Israelite territory then, like you can find in the book of Judges chapter 20 verse 1, but also the Aramean, the Phoenician, and the Philistine cities. That is what the whole book, I mean, the whole chapter of the book of Zechariah is all about. Now, the whole prophecy speaks of a victorious campaign and interpreted as a campaign of God himself. Which speaks of the coming age of the Messiah. And that this campaign is to be carried out at the coming of Zion's king. And I want you to know that. Look at it. If you start reading from the, for instance, the Amplified Translation, you know, it's from verse 1 to 17, for instance, the Living Bible, rather. I'll just pick up, you know, some passages for you to, to see. This is what it says. This is the message concerning God's cause on the lands of Hadrach and Damascus. For the Lord is closely watching all mankind. All of the cities of Syria belonging to the land of the Lord as much as do the tribes of Israel. Then it says, Rejoice greatly, all my people. Shout with joy. For look, your king is coming. He is the righteous one, the victor. The Lord shall lead his people as a fight. His arrow shall fly like lightning. The Lord God shall sound the trumpet call and go out against his enemies. Watch that. Like a wild wind off the desert from the south. He would defend his people and they would subdue their enemies. They would thirst takes victory and shout with triumph. They shall shine in his hand, in his land, in his hand, as glittering joys in a crown. How wonderful and beautiful all shall be. Zechariah 9, 1 to 17, and then from, I mean, from the, the Living Bible. Now the king just simply said, verse 14, Zechariah 9, 14, And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as a lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet, and shall come with wild winds of the south. And then I want you to know this. You see those two things there, because there's something I'm going to say now about the wild wind. But get this right. The Lord himself is coming, and is blowing while the trumpet. So the trump of God is what you find in first Thessalonians 4 16, the trump of God. And that's what is being explained here in, in Zechariah 9 14. 
Take it again. And the Lord shall be seen over them, and his arrow shall go forth as a lightning, and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet. God himself, not angels. Can you get that? And shall go forth with wild winds of the south. Now, there is something very specific about this wild wind. Jesus used it to speak to the people of, of Israel, or the Jews at that time. Look at what he said in, 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 in Luke chapter 12, verse 55 and 56. And when you say the south wind blow, you say there will be heat and it coming to pass. Yeah, hypocrites, you can design the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that you do not design this time? So what do you think he was talking to them about in this particular passage? He used it for the Jews of his days. What Zechariah just mentioned, Zechariah chapter 9 verse 14. Now, he meant to say, you don't know that I am the Messiah spoken of by the prophet. And that your time of judgment under the Roman army is here. For the south wind blow over hot desert areas into Palestine. And so, could produce a heat wave, which is symbolic here of judgment. So what I was trying to tell them is, you don't have understanding. You keep on saying, oh, look at the weather, right? Okay, now, this is south wind is blowing and all of that. So but you are unable to design the signs of the time. You don't even understand the season you are. That you are just right in the season of judgment. And that's exactly what he's telling them now, picking it from the book of Zechariah chapter 9 and verse number 14. Can you get that now? Praise the Lord. So this is what he meant to tell them. Your judgment is imminent, but you don't know. But when you look at the weather, say, oh, it's going to rain, oh, there's going to be heat, oh. You'll be able to see all of that, but now you're unable to understand the season you are, that there is trouble on the land. You have no understanding about that, so that you can prepare or escape. You have no understanding about that. You forgot to realize that God said, even the king himself is coming from Zion. Their own king is coming to them. You can't put all of those things into consideration. You can't even recognize the fact that I am that king we've spoken about. Praise the Lord. So you see, it's in the light of this prophetic world and the restoration process through God's judgment on his enemies that the trumpet of God in First Thessalonians 4.16 is speaking to us. You get that? That is what he's dealing with. Good. Now, if you begin to read through, for instance, Psalm 18, verse 14, 149, 7 to 9, you begin to see how God also used this illustration as touching his own saints. The Bible says, For ye he sent out his arrows and scattered them, and he shot out lightnings and discomfited them to execute vengeance upon the heathen and punishment upon the people to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute upon them the judgment written. This honor have all his saints. Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 18, 14, 149, 7-9. Now, this is precisely what Enoch echoed also in John, I mean, Jude 14 and that Jude 14 and 16, you know, Jude is one chapter. And so, right there in the book of Jude, you, you remember what he said? Uh, let me read this so that you can see what Jude said in relation to what we're talking about, about using his say to execute this judgment that he's talking about. Praise the living God. Look at it. Jude and uh, 14. 15. I just read only 14. Okay, 14 to 16. And this is what it says in the book of Jude. Praise the Lord. It said, And Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesy of the saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Note that. That is verse number 5 of Zechariah 14, if you will, to execute judgment. Upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all the ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 
These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust, and their mouth speaking great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Praise the Lord. And so that's exactly what you find again, that the Lord is speaking to us from Psalm 14, I mean Psalm 18, by verse 14, and then 114, 7-2, the same thing. So what are we saying here? The trumpet call of God is symbolic of God's move against his enemies in warfare. It's not dealing with anything that will sound in the atmosphere and people will be raptured. That is not what he's dealing with, people of God. You better get your mind off this thing and follow on, focus on what God is saying in his word. It's a big distraction from understanding the truth of God's word. Because of the way I might have been made up about this issue of that which is called the rapture. Are you getting it? Praise the Lord. Now, we, we move on here. When you look at 2 Thessalonians 1 and, 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 and verse 10 and then 7 to 8, you begin to read that again in relation to the execution of judgment. And it's important that you take a look at that. In the book of First Thessalonians, uh, I mean Second Thessalonians, rather, we look at chapter 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 one, Second Thessalonians chapter one, and then you'll be able to see how again uh, Paul was trying to bring forth this same thought about the Lord coming to execute judgment on his enemies in particular. It's important you notice that. And, and you, pick it, you take it to heart as well, because without these things being put together, you will not be able to truly understand what God is saying. Now, if you look at Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, let's look at it from just verse number 7 to 10. And it says, After you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Get that right. Okay? In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be what? Glorified in his saints. Notice that. And to be admired in all them that believe not, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Did you get that? What I want you to pick here is verse number 10. When he shall, the judgment is coming, when he shall be glorified in his saints. So he's using his stand to execute the judgment. That is how God himself is to be glorified in his people. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Alright. Therefore, what we are seeing here in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 is a war call. And you can find that in the book of Numbers. If you take time to read the Bible again, you go down to the book of Numbers, you'll be able to see a similar thing uh, that the Moses, actually in particular, gave to the children of Israel. Look at it in the book of Numbers. Very quickly, we just take a look at that. Numbers chapter 10, and uh, we read verse number 9. Numbers 10, verse number 9. Well, let me just get it. Here we go. And it says, And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and it shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. Can you get that? You shall blow what? The trumpet or an alarm with the trumpet. So 4 Thessalonians 4 and 16 is talking about this alarm, the alarm of war against the enemies. Amen. Are you picking it? Okay. Let's look at also uh, chapter thirty-one of the book of Numbers, and then we'll look at verse six, verse number six. Here is what it says: thirty-one, verse number six. And Moses sent to them, sent them to the war a thousand of every tribe, them and Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, to the wall with a holy instrument and a trumpet to blow in his hand. This is a trumpet of war. Can you get that? 
praise the Lord. I just want you to see how this trumpet is used. It's completely different from the last trump that you see in the book of Revelation chapter number 10. Again, if you look at 2 Chronicles 13, 12 to 15, for instance, this is what you're going to see. And behold, God himself is with us for our captain and his priest with sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you, O children of Israel. Fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for they shall not prosper. But Jeroboam caused an ambush to come about behind them, so they were before Judah, and the ambush was behind them. Is that okay? Right. 14 says, And when Judah looked back, Behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried unto the Lord, and the priest sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. Praise the Lord. Did you get that? This is the alarm of war. So this trumpet call of God is not just an ordinary call or a message like any other, but a call to arm. To bring to subjection, self, human ego, if you will, as to watch, I mean, much I mean, and with the principalities and powers, with our wheels being broken, that we may fully be empowered by him to go forth and to conquer. Even the base in political government, religious system, and the heart of men. It has nothing to do with a literal trumpet, some days to come, that we enable you fly away. No. Get your mind off that. Be equipped for the battle of life. Not to escape, but to subdue the enemy for God. The victory over sin is sure, and the last enemy to be destroyed is dead. Producing a total restoration of man back into the image of his creator in Christ. Like we find Ephesians 1, I mean, verse number 10, Colossians 3, verse number 10. Praise the Lord. God intends us to be brought back. God wants to bring man back. And so, all of the things that are militating against God's life and power and glory within man, He is breaking down and bringing us back to Himself. Praise the living God. This is the trumpet call that we're talking about. It's an alarm of war. It has nothing to do with a call to lift you up into the sky to escape whatever thing you call the Antichrist or all of those things that man is afraid of. That is not what that scripture is talking about. So clearly then the trumpet of 1 Thessalonians 4.16, the trumpet of God, is an alarm of war. It's not for a rapture, but to declare the victories of Christ on the earth. Amen? Alright. The second aspect I want you to look at is... Ascending and descending. The Lord descending. Remember that? With the trump of God. So what does it mean to descend? Now, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. That's what we said. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a trump of God. First of all, the word descend is catabatino. Which means descend. To come, to get down, to step down. To fall down. Now, there is a particular scripture that is very, very important here. In the book of Proverbs, if you look at Proverbs 30 verse 4, Bible says, Who had ascended into heaven or descended? Who had ascended or descended? Right? Okay, now, Jesus again answered this question all by himself. When you look at the book of John 3 and verse number 13, Jesus said, no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down or descended from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. John 3, 13. Did you get that? He answered a question you found in Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended or descended? And Jesus said, no man has ascended or even descended, but except he who came down from heaven, talking about himself. So what can we understand by this? It is simply that he alone has manifested the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, no man has been filled with the fullness of the Godhead in human form before his arrival. And that he alone has that privilege 
while alive even on the earth. For we look at the book of Colossians 2 verse 9, Amplified Translation. For in him the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature in him. And then when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, remember what it says there? 1 Timothy 3, 16. God, the greatest, the mystery of godliness. Remember that? God was manifest under the flesh. I'd just like us to take a look at that so that you see what, what I'm saying here. Look at what it said. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Who is that? God himself. See that? So, in a human form, God dwelt in Christ in bodily form. No other person has ever come up to that level in life. That's what Jesus is saying in John 3 verse number 13. Praise the Lord. Now, having accomplished the victory of sin, I mean over sin, and Satan at the cross, through his human ministry, he ascended above all other realms of spiritual attainment into the heavens, into the fatherhood realm. For, if you look at the book of John 16 verse 10, I came forth from the Father, and I'm come unto the world, a descent. Again, and I leave the world as a human being, and you see me no more. John 16 verse 10. I came forth from the Father, and I came into the world. And again, I leave the world, and I go to the Father, and you see me no more. Praise the Lord. Because he goes to the Father who is spirit. You look at John chapter 4 verse 24. John 16 verse 28. But John 16 verse 10 is so powerful. He's going to the Father. And you see me no more. That the Holy Spirit may take over from where he starts. If you will. Now just look at this. In Ephesians 4 9. And 10. Scripture says, Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended far above all heavens, that he might feel all things. Get the point. The purpose of the descent, first of all, he descended, and then he ascended. That in this realm of ascension, he might feel all things. So his ascension enables him to feel all things as compared to when he came in or when he descended as a human being. That he couldn't feel all things all by himself. Did you get that? I need you to get this understanding of what the scripture is saying. So, how did he descend from heaven in the first place? Because we're thinking about, well, he's going to descend... Looking at the sky to get somebody to come from the sky. Well, no problem about that. But let's first of all look at this. The scripture is telling us here he descended, right? So the question is, how did he descend from heaven in the first place? Did he just float down like a balloon from the cloud and landed on earth as a human being? No. The scripture says, in response to the address of the angel that spoke to Mary, for instance, in Luke chapter 1, 34, 35, I just read that alone. What did the Bible say? Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be? See, I know no man. Right? Now verse 35 says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest that overshadow thee. Therefore also the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Follow the process. How did Jesus come? He came via the cloud, the Holy Spirit overshadowing the mother or Mary. Is that okay? That is how he descended. Can you get it? He came through the glory cloud 
It was the same cloud that descended on the Mount of Transfiguration. The cloud that came at the dedication of Solomon's temple, and the same cloud that descended on the Mount Sinai when the law was given. The very cloud that was in the most holy place upon the ark, and the very cloud with which he ascended in Acts chapter 1 verse number 9. The Bible says, a cloud received him out of their sight. It was not clouds, it was a cloud, a singular cloud. And it was this same singular cloud that had been moving. Any time God wants to move, you say the cloud comes in. So, he simply went into that same cloud. And how did he come? He came in that cloud. He overshadowed Mary. And out of that cloud, the seed, the Holy Spirit, was deposited in the life of Mary. Can you get it? Praise the Lord. He descended through that means as the glory rested on Mary. I want you to get this right. Praise the living God. His descending was simply to give up his glory as the Father and became a human being. That's what you see in Philippians 2, verse number 6 to 7. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. 7 said, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in likeness of a man, or of men. The likeness of men. That's what we say here. This is what it means for him to descend. He just gave up his glory and became a human being. Amen. He left the glory of the Father. Like we read in 1 Timothy 3.16. He left the glory of the Father. Great as the mystery of God in it. God was manifested in the flesh. That is how he descended. That's something floating from the sky. We're not talking about somebody dropping from, from the sky like somebody, you know. I don't know how to describe what you're thinking about right now. Praise the Lord. Can you get this? So, in John 3, 13, therefore, when he said, No man has ascended up to heaven, it is that no human being had ever lived, even Elijah, and all others, and those even now, without Christ, did not and cannot attain to the fullness of the Godhead without the sacrifice of Christ. For in Christ there is all of God in human body. From the Living Bible. In Christ, there is all of God in human body. Colossians 2 verse number 9. No man has that. No man got a privilege. So that's why he said, no man has ascended up to heaven. Now, does he even surprise you? You read in the Bible, Enoch was translated. Elijah was taken to heaven. He chatted of what? I mean, of wild wind, of fire, whatever. And yet Jesus came and said, nobody. Now, who are you going to believe? Is it Jesus or the history you read? So this is what I'm explaining to you. Why didn't Jesus say that nobody? That includes Elijah. That includes Enoch. What he's saying is, no man has been able to attain to the fullness of the Godhead as far as human being is concerned. But you see, you ask me, but the word of God said Elijah was ascended on heaven. Sure, that's exactly what I'm saying. But not in the fullness of the Father's glory. Why? Because the way into the holiest of all, which is the fullness of God, was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle, the realm of sacrifice and laws, were yet standing. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 8. As long as the time Elijah was alive, Enoch wavered, all of those people that were ever there before Jesus came. As long as they were there, as long as the tabernacle was still standing in the wilderness and the sacrifice were being made, nobody has access to the fullness of the Godhead which has to do with the most holy place. Nobody has access to that. Nobody can embody that expression, that, that, that dimension of God, which is the fullness of the Godhead. That's what he's talking about. So Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that has been able to attain to the place of the fullness of the Godhead. Not even Elijah, not even Enoch. Nobody was able to get into that. As long as the tabernacle was standing, Hebrews 9 verse 8, nobody has access to the fullness of the Godhead. That's what he mean by, no man has ascended up to heaven. Can you get it now? So what are we saying? Descending out of heaven does not mean a literal human being floating down, but a manifestation of his person. But now and through a people in this particular dispensation. You see this in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. What did the Bible say? God was in Christ. That was a manifestation. Did you get that? That was a manifestation. There was no literal person called God. 
other than the vessel he chose to pass through, a Jesus the Christ. God descended on Mount Sinai in fire, Exodus 19 verse 8. That doesn't limit the nature of God or his manifestation to be of fire. In Exodus 33 verse 9, he filled the tabernacle with a cloudy pillar of his glory. As he descended, in Genesis 11 verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men of Babel will build to destroy the tower of Babel. Who saw a physical human being? Think for a moment. Did the Lord say he was going to come down to destroy the tower? As long as the tower was destroyed, it shows that he came down. But who saw a human being? Now, could it be we are actually missing some of the, some of the visitations of God? us because we are thinking of just only one way of his coming. Maybe. Because all we ever think about his coming is one human being that's going to drop from the sky. Now let me let me let me just give you something to think about. You say as you see him go so shall he come. There's no problem. But the Bible says he left in a cloud. Did you get that? Verse number nine Acts chapter one right he left in a cloud. Now Revelation 1 17 said, Behold, he cometh in clouds. How did the singular cloud become clouds? That is for another discussion, anyway. If you got to know, you can get, get in touch with me. Hallelujah. But we know that he left in a single cloud. So, how is he coming in in plural clouds in Revelation 1 7? That is something we don't think about. Praise the Lord. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus told Natalian that he shall see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He was not talking of literal angels walking on him as a human being like a ladder, but rather that he is the way to the Father, our heavenly home. Remember he said, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved and shall go in, ascend, and out descend and find pasture life. John 10 verse number 9. I am the way. That's what I mean. Angels are sending and descending. So let's look further. What it means to descend. And this is very important. In Exodus 19 verse 18, we find an interesting story. Now God descended on my son, and the Bible said my son was altogether on a smoke. Exodus 19, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke therefore ascended as the smoke of the furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called up Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Verse 21. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down, charge the people, lest they break through unto the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Verse 22. And let the priests also, which come near to the Lord, sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. Verse 23. And Moses said unto the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai. For thou chargest us, saying, Set bounds about the mount and sanctify it. Verse 24 And the Lord said unto him, It will get thee down, and thou shalt come up, thou and Aaron with thee. But let not the priest and the people break through to come up unto the Lord, lest he break forth upon them. So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them. Now look at something. Chapter 20, verse number 1. Follow it. And God spake all this words, saying, I am the Lord thy God. Did you get something? Moses started going down. And as soon as he started going down, the Lord began to speak. When he went up, he didn't speak. But when he started coming down, he began to speak. And God spake on these words unto him, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which I brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other God before me. Praise the Lord. Did you get this? Moses ascended. 
Then God asked Moses to come down, descended. And as he started descending, immediately the law was proclaimed. What is the implication of this? The law was imparted into Moses to be further imparted and implanted in the rest of the people. Amen? In the rest of the people. Praise the Lord. Are you getting this? Follow it. The law was implanted or imparted first. And don't follow the sequence. He ascended and then God asked him to come down. So when he was descending, as soon as he started descending, the Lord began to speak. The law was now imparted unto Moses to be imparted and implanted in the rest of the people. And that is God himself, in a way, descending into man with his nature. So that man may manifest heaven of God for the laws we are the natures of God. The law is simply the nature of God. Praise the living God. So when Jesus talked about angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, John 1 51, it is not to get the mind of I mean it is to get the mind of God in order to reveal him to creation. That's what he means. Moses ascended and as soon as he was descending, God began to give him the laws. So when you ascend before God, and you're coming down, it's like you're going to take information. It's like you're going to get light and revelation. And when you come back, you impact same to creation. The result of this movement is the establishment of the kingdom of priests. As we impart the nature of God to men. Since from the mouth of the priest shall they seek knowledge. Malachi 2 verse number 7. Man meeting with God is heaven coming down to us. This is the oneness of God and man that the Father ultimately desire for the creation since the fall of man, thereby revealing his laws in our hearts and so manifesting God's government, which is his kingdom. That's what it means. God becoming one with man to reveal himself again through man. Adam was supposed to be the express image and glory of God. After the fall, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3 that Jesus became the express image and glory of God. In fact, Amplified Translation said, He is a character of God. Man is the character of God. Praise the living God. So, in Isaiah chapter 51, the Lord begins to speak this to His people. But I am the Lord their God that divided the seas, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my words in the mouth, and I've covered thee in the shadow of my hand, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth, and say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Praise God. Now, what I want you to pick here is 16. I put my words, my laws, in thy mouth. And I've covered thee in the shadow of my hand. Glory to God. To do what? That I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth. And say unto Zion, Thou art my people. Amen? This is the mystery of the sons of God. Going into God. Receiving the blessings. And coming out to bless the people in the outer court. Spiritually with the resources of heaven. This is the same ladder that Jacob saw in Genesis 28, verse number 12. Remember that? When Jacob lay down the stone, woke up the next morning in the dream, rather, and then he saw a ladder that reached up to heaven, angels ascending and descending. He got on the next and said, This will be the house of God. And he the stone called the place better. Is that okay? Loose. Which was the land of loose. Remember that. Praise the living God. So, this is the mystery we're talking about. The ascending and descending is to be able to assess the presence of God, assess the mind of God, and you come down and bless humanity. We're not talking about running away. We're talking about recreating the world as God has intended it from the very beginning. Now, you can understand why the great city, which is the Lamb's wife, the heavenly Jerusalem, is descending out of heaven from God. Revelation 21, 9-10. Amen. Revelation 21, 9 to 10. You remember that? Saw the heavenly Jerusalem, the holy city, 
the Lamb's wife. Praise the living God. What was it that he saw? And what is it doing? Descending. Descending. Coming down. Praise the Lord. Look at that. And there came unto me one of the seven angels. Can you see that? Praise the living God. Which are the seven vows. And begin to talk with me. Talk about the plagues and so on and so forth. But you remember, when you begin to look at it critically, and begin to talk about the heavenly Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepare as a bride. Amen? Praise the living God. Are you with me? Praise the Lord. So that's the point. You now can understand when we're talking about the heavenly Jerusalem coming down, prepare as a bride descending, descending out of heaven from God. This is God in His people, fully, fully revealing Himself through a community of people called the Bride of Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That is exactly what we're talking about. That's why I said, I put my words in your mouth and I cover it with the glory of my hand that you may do what? Plant the heavens and lay the foundation of the earth. Hallelujah. That's what we're seeing, people of God. Amen? So, it is the church of Christ, which is his body, and with him, as he had been revealed. Get it right. You find that in Ephesians 1, 23 That through the church, he as spirit in the church might fill all things with his person. Now, remember, in Ephesians 4, he that Descended is it also that ascended that he might feel. How is he going to feel all things? Okay, I would like to read from Ephesians 1, Romans number 20. I'm reading from the message translation. You will like this. This is what it says. Praise the Lord. I'm reading from verse 20. All this energy, that's power, issues from Christ. God raised him from the dead and set him on his throne. In deep heaven, verse 21, in charge of running the universe, everything from galaxies to government, no name and no power exempt from his rule. Not just that for the time being, but forever. He, Christ, is in charge of it all, the universe, has the final world on everything. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Verse 23. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. That is not the outskirt of the world. The world is peripheral to the church. I want you to know that. The church is Christ's body, in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything which is present. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen to that again. The church is Christ's body. Are you there with me? In which he speaks. Who speaks through the church? Christ. An act by which he fills everything with his presence. Amen? Can you handle that? And that's exactly what it is. That is what that Ephesians 4 says now. When he ascended that he might fill everything with his presence. Through which people? Through the church. So, he's descending out of heaven. It's a revelation of his body to the world in a great power and glory. When he comes to be glorified in his saints, like we read before in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 4. For he is in them, according to Colossians 1 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the church is in God. In him we live and move and have our being. Acts 17 28. John 1 5 and 20. Amen. You can also look at First Thessalonians chapter one, verse one. The church is in God. Praise the Lord. Again, Christ coming out of heaven, the spirit realm is through a people, the church, with whom He is now sitting in glory. Ephesians chapter two and verse number six. You know that the four were sitting together with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And Colossians three one said. If you then sit together with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ seated at the right hand of God. 
So Christ coming out of heaven, the spirit realm, is through a people. So therefore, ultimately God is intending us to take heaven wherever we go. And to have it planted as such. Bringing to a realization the prayer, thy kingdom come. That will be done in it as it is in heaven. So the church needs to wake up. And be who God intended her to be on the earth. We must get out of the sphere of this Antichrist. And trying to run away to heaven through the rapture. But to do exactly what God intended us to do. He has a purpose for the church. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. In fact, scripture said the church is the light of the world. You get the church out of the world, the world goes into darkness. I don't know how we have so confused ourselves. God intended us to shine at light, but we want to go out of the world, want to get out of the earth, so that the Antichrist will take charge. Is that the plan of God? Is that the ultimate goal of God? Think, my brother. Hallelujah. You see, Revelation 11:15. what did the Bible tell there? For the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. How? As the world penetrates, as the kingdom expands, as the people take charge in every sphere, we are bringing the kingdom of God to bear in all realms of life as far as humanity is concerned. There is no antichrist, no devil that is going to stop the move of God. Remember what the Bible says? Upon this revelation I will build my church and the gate of hell cannot prevail. I wish somebody can think about that. I wish somebody can remember that. I will build my church. And the gates of hell can't prevail against the church. Until tomorrow, it's not going to prevail. No power in creation is going to be able to stop the church from advancing. My brother, we are on the move. The war cry of God, the trumpet of God is sounding. And this is not just a callous message. It's a warfare message. To penetrate and to be able to drive through. The powers of the enemy to subdue everything that want to oppose the purposes and the will of God on the face of the earth. This is the word I call for you to encourage you to stand strong. This is no time to have feeble kneels. This is no time to have weak kneels. And this is no time to begin to think, oh, it is finished, we are done for. This is no time to imagine that there is one antichrist that is going to rule over the world and so subdue Christians, so you're waiting for the rapture. No! This is no time for that. God have overruled all of those things. For the gate of hell cannot prevail against the church that God himself is building. And I'm saying it again. God's intention is that through you, he will express himself in creation. Praise the living God. Love you and God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.